Support for On Something comes from the Rodman Law Group, a Denver-based law firm with a global reach. The Rodman Law Group specializes in FDA compliance, civil litigation, criminal defense, and the cannabinoid industry. Learn more today at therodmanlawgroup.com. Thanks also to Extract Labs. Based in Boulder, Colorado, Extract Labs is dedicated to introducing consumers to the use of CBD through product education. More about products grown from American hemp at extractlabs.com. From Colorado Public Radio and PRX, this is On Something. Okay, well, my my name is Paola. I'm 30 years old, and right now I'm an engineer. I work in a mining company. My name is Neil Barenblatt. I'm 32 years old. I do video production and was working my first big video production job for a while and got a little uh, antsy and, and quit so that I could go travel and wanted to go travel around South America. So I did. I was traveling with three other friends. We went to Ecuador to, for holiday vacations. And in February 2012, I had just crossed from Colombia into Ecuador uh, without ever having planned to do that. I, I wasn't supposed to, and just circumstances happened where I found myself there. Uh, it, it was the Amazon jungle. Everything there was green, very beautiful, with a lot of animals, very wild, you know. There wasn't, like, any house or something around, just a little village. <laughs> next, I'm there for a day, and next day, these um, four girls come in, and that's where I met Paula. I remember that he was in a hammock, and he was, like, chilling, you know, and uh, the guide of our tour told us that he was Neil, and my English there wasn't that good, so I understood Neil. <laughs> I saw these Chilean girls come in, and I just, like, magnetized that way. I, like, gravitated. I was like, no, nah, I want to hang out with them. <laughs> and... I think I noticed Paula at first, but I don't think we were, like, immediately talking to each other a lot. It happened because at the end of the trip, I asked if I could continue traveling with them, and they said yes. And that was probably an attempt to just stay close to Paula. (laughs) I remember we learned to surf together in Ecuador. We cooked a lot together. We tried different food. The way someone looks at you. You know, sort of the feeling you get behind someone's eyes. And she smiled a lot. I hope she still does. (laughs) Yeah, her like her default face is a smile. And that's really nice. When you ask, how did you break a communication barrier? I would remember that that had a lot to do with it. This is a love story. And you are listening to On Something. I'm Anne-Marie Awad. On this podcast, we tell stories about life after legalization, especially those times when marijuana is still very, very illegal for certain people. 
I swear, I promise you, there is a legalization story in here somewhere. Just listen. So Neil is from the States, and he was visiting Ecuador on this backpacking trip. At the same time, Paula from Chile was visiting Ecuador on vacation with her friends. And Paula and Neil are both staying at the same lodge, and there's this immediate kind of spark. But things didn't go too far. On that trip, Paula and I had almost kissed, but she was seeing someone and I knew that, so I stopped it and said, hey, this, this isn't a good idea. I had a relationship of eight years. It was a long relationship, and suddenly I met a guy from the U.S. We call them gringos. I met a crazy gringo traveling alone in South America. In addition to his video work, Neil also makes music on the side. And during this whole backpacking odyssey through South America, he found something just irresistible about Andean music, which he had never really heard before. Back home in the States, he had this incredible itch to make some Andean-inspired music of his own. This music, actually. And it was also like a desperate cry to Paula. It was like, listen to me, kind of thing. After a few months of radio silence, Neil sent a whole album of music to Paula. (laughs) I think I cried. I don't remember. I think it was a breaking point of my life. Yes, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. That helped to start talking again with Neil. And with that, I decided to end my relationship. The two started talking almost every day. Both of them phrase it this funny way. We just couldn't stop talking. And soon they were visiting each other's home countries and traveling together. In 2014, Neil was still living in his hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Paula came to visit that fall. It was her first time in the U.S., and she spent Thanksgiving with his family. We had, I mean, we had this, like, incredible time. You can attribute that to it being, like, a honeymoon period, and maybe it was, but we just, like, it was just so good. Um, You know, she met my family, and my family loved her. She obviously hadn't done a Thanksgiving, and so it was just fun to make a turkey together. But when he came here, my mom didn't like him a lot. (laughs) Because my mom is, I don't know, like a typical mom in South America. She's Catholic, she's very structured, she is very traditional. And suddenly I came with a guy from another country, another religion, another culture, another everything. So she wasn't used to people like Neil. The following year, Neil decided to move. He had grown up in Memphis, but he was ready for a change. He got a job here in Denver and planned to take this 
big, long road trip across the country with Paolo. They drove across Texas, stopping to visit some of Neil's family. We camped in New, in New Mexico. And finally, we arrived to Colorado. It was 2015. Neil signed a short-term lease for an apartment near Boulder. And Paula stayed with him to help him get set up. One afternoon, they were out shopping along this big pedestrian mall that has all of these boutiques and restaurants. We probably were just walking around one day over in Pearl Street in Boulder, because that's where it was, and said, oh, my God, like, we got, obviously, we got to go in there. Like, it's so unusual. And we saw the marijuana dispensary. And we said, wow, that's interesting. I'm not used to see these kind of things. Let's get in. The only thing I really remember because it's significant to the story is them asking for IDs. And so obviously mine was a normal thing. But when we asked, oh, Paula has her passport, is that okay? The answer was absolutely. Yes, let's see your passport. And then they would, whatever they did, take a picture, scan it or something like that. After that, we get into the marijuana dispensary. And there were a lot of things there, a lot of books, a lot of information, and also a lot of wheat. <laughs> and we saw different kind of marijuana and, I don't know, eatables. We were both smiling and looking at different things. I think, I mean, I was still amazed, and she was too, at the variety of of different things you could get, you know, look at that, that's ridiculous. Oh my God, like, are they really doing that too? Uh, I totally need to appreciate too that this is like 2015 we're talking about. I mean, at this point, like, like dispensaries have only been a thing for about a year. I mean, recreational exactly. dispensaries. Okay. And so, you know, you have to appreciate that as, a, as an American citizen, but then take someone from another country who's coming in who may or may not have smoked much weed at all in her life seeing a very professional and clean store with lots of products that offer different types of marijuana in different forms and functions and things like that. Do you remember what you ended up getting from the dispensary? When we got there? Yeah. I think it was uh, a bubble gum. Okay, neither of them quite remembers exactly what they bought, but they just remember buying edibles something sweet. Yeah, I think we uh, we got a couple cookies, like a couple edibles, because that's fun. They had a little sample that day, and then they saved the rest for camping later on. Car camping. But shortly after they ate the cookies, or whatever they were, it started to rain. So we were like trying to set up as fast as we could before it hit because we knew it would be impossible afterwards because we're, we're, you know, we laugh. And then we start to hear thunder. Oh, no. And then the thunder starts to grow stronger. And then the lightning comes. And Paula and I just kind of look at each other and go, no, 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 no. So then the next, the next like, task was to take it all down as fast as we could before we got super high and put it back in the car and we were just going to sleep in the car because there's no way oh my God. we were going to get drenched as much as we were super stoned in the middle of I don't remember where so we, we packed everything up and packed everything up and cooked as fast as we could and then we got in the car and it hit right there and we you know laughed at a thunderstorm 
Nice. That's about we did it. Paula's visit lasted about three months, and things were going great. They were making plans for her to come live in the U.S. She applied to graduate school to get a master's degree and a student visa that would allow her to stay here for a while. And around that time, Neil got his dream job at GoPro, the company that makes those video cameras. He moved to California with plans for Paola to come along. And I started working there, and it, it, every day it was more of a dream job than the day before. Wow. Yeah. How soon does she come up to see you in California? Only a couple weeks in. I decided to go and see Neil. And that was when everything happened. In October of 2015, Paula flew from Chile to California. And the plan was she was going to fly to L.A. And then I bought her a mega bus ticket from L.A. to San Jose, I think. And then I'd go pick her up after work. And I was telling all my new work buddies all week, she's coming, there's this girl, and it's been this, and this has been the relationship, and it's so crazy, she's going to come up here, even for a week and a half, I can't wait for you all to meet her. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone's like, cool, awesome, so cool. So the day she comes, I, um, maybe a little hard talking about it. Someone told me that I had to make another line, a special line to check my things, okay? Getting off the plane at LAX, Paula ran into a snag at customs. Had this ever happened to you before? No, first time, first time. Okay. I think it's random, I don't know, but they choose some people in order to review them a little bit better. Okay. That was when... An officer uh, took my phone and checked everything inside of my phone. So this customs agent has your phone, and they're looking through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is this interaction like? Like, I don't know how I would behave if somebody just took my phone and was searching it. I just asked him, can you do that? And he said, yes, I I, I have the right to do this. And I say, okay. you're, you're in a situation that you cannot do a lot, you know? So, mm-hmm. And I wasn't afraid of hiding something, you know? I was, I was relaxed because I knew that I'm, I'm not a criminal, I'm not a traffic person, I don't know. I'm just a normal person. Right. So he starts going through your phone, and does he start asking you questions? Well, he asked me a lot about my last trips to the U.S., Mm -hmm. so he was very interested about the pictures of Colorado, Memphis, and all the places that I've been before. Mm -hmm. And that's how he he started to look at the pictures from Colorado. Uh, And he discovered the pictures of the marijuana dispensary. Paula had pictures on her phone from inside the marijuana dispensary. You know, the one that she and Neil had gone to months before. After that came lots and lots of questions. When the questions wrapped up, Paula was led to a private room, patted down, and then led to another common room with a bunch of other people who were just waiting. 
I remember that I started to talk with a girl from France. Then she told me, if you are here, you will probably not going to enter to the U.S. That's when I realized that I was in serious, serious trouble. Paula and Neil tried to get out of trouble. Plus, more on what legalization means exactly for non-citizens after this break. Hey, it's Anne. I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Listeners like you make On Something possible. Hundreds of thousands of people have listened to our podcast since it launched back in 2019. You've been there with us while we've explored everything from CBD to cooking with cannabis to social equity across the entire industry. It is really humbling, and I am so grateful. The reporting, the stories told, and the issues explored, you made all of that possible. And if you feel like helping our show, head to onsomething.org and contribute if you can. Once again, thank you so much. I'm getting ready to leave and I get a call and it's Paula and she's in tears and she says they're not letting me in they're sending me home and I said what do you mean it's what are you talking about and she said they're sending me home they're kicking me out they're not letting me in ever and I said, you're joking. <laughs> What's going on? Paula had some choices. She could wait for her case to go to trial, which could take days or months. Meanwhile, she would have to sit in detention, waiting. The other option was to wait five years. Accepting a five-year ban would immediately revoke her visa and get her sent back home. And then she could try to re-enter the country after the five years was up. Then there was a waiver, which basically forfeits a person's right to enter the country at all. It's, in effect, a lifetime ban, unless you can convince immigration authorities that you should be readmitted. Paula thought maybe she could convince them to let her back in in less than five years. That's why I, I, I choose the waiver. And she just starts bursting into tears. And she says, no, you don't understand. I can't come. I'm in Los Angeles and they're sending me home. And I, th then I realize she's serious and I go, what? I mean, at any point is somebody explaining to you exactly what you've done wrong? Yes, I try marijuana in a place which is not legal for immigrants. That was my mistake. All of a sudden, the officer starts talking. So a customs official got on the phone with Neil. And she says, for this reason and that reason, Paul has been deemed inadmissible to the United States and is being detained and will be returned to her country. And so I started begging and saying, no, 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 no. What, what's going on? 
Okay, I'm going to interject here because you, the listener, are probably wondering the same thing. What was going on? Paula had an edible months before this happened in Colorado, a state where recreational marijuana is legal. To sort this out for us, I spoke with Joel Warner. Joel is a journalist and writer based here in Denver, and he wrote about Paula and Neil in 2016 for a local publication called Westward. Since then, Joel has continued to do a lot of reporting on marijuana legalization and immigration and where the twain meet. Since legalization, do you have any sense of how often something like this has happened where people get deported or denied entry or denied green cards because of either using legal weed, working in the weed industry, what have you? There are no official statistics for for many reasons. Now, we do have some some ideas. For starters, between 2007 and 2012, according to Human Rights Watch, uh, there are approximately 50,000 people were deported from the United States because of cannabis-based offenses. Just cannabis? Yes. Wow. Did she break a law to get her sent back to Chile? Um, according to Colorado and an increasing number of states, she did not break any laws. Mm-hmm. She went to an officially licensed dispensary that has allowed to sell cannabis to anyone over the age of 21, yeah. whether they are U.S. citizens or not. Um, so according to state law, yeah, she didn't break any laws. Now, according to federal law, you know, she consumed a Schedule One substance. Mm-hmm. And according to uh, immigration kind of rules and laws, anyone who commits a substance abuse offense, that is considered a deportable offense. So this did not require Paola to be like picked up by police and arrested, right? No. To have a criminal record. Yes, because especially now the law says something else. Immigration law says something else. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are entering the country or if you are speaking with an immigration official and you admit to, just admit to, committing a cannabis-related offense or admit to planning to commit Yeah, you have to be suspected, right? Or you just have to say, yes, I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm going to Washington State to go to the Dave Matthews concert (laughs) and I'm going to stop by the dispensary right over the border that literally advertises itself to foreigners, to Canadians, and I'm going to purchase some cannabis. If you tell an immigration official this at the border, they can say, well, we have just deemed you inadmissible for yeah. life. Yeah. It's, it's that term, right? It's admissible versus inadmissible. Yes. It's not necessarily like criminal versus non-criminal, right? No, because it's such a like, vague term. Mm-hmm. It just basically says like immigration officials have, it seems like they have a lot of leeway. Well, I think also part of what's at play here, too, is that the way that um, back dating back to like the Clinton administration, the way that we treat immigrants is that we kind of hold them at a higher standard than American citizens. Right. So it's like how you and I can go consume legal weed all willy nilly and it's fine. Right. But if my friend is a green card holder. Right. And they're doing everything they can to come here legally and become a citizen legally, like one harmless doobie can basically derail all of that. Yes. And they don't even have to be arrested or tried in a court of law or anything like that. They don't even have to smoke that doobie. They don't even they just have to have buy to, it. They don't even have to buy it. They all they have to do is say I am planning to go to Colorado and purchase something from one of the dispensaries there.
Let's get back to Paula and her dilemma in LAX airport. She had just made the very hard decision to accept a lifetime ban from the U.S. And she had just hung up the phone after telling all of this to Neil, who was still at work. And he started to panic and went to his boss. And the second we sat down, I just started crying. And Bali into tears. <laughs> and I told him. And he, uh, he said, get on a plane. He said, get out of here. And I said, I can't. I just started this job. And it's, you know, it's my dream job. And I can't do that. And he said, don't, don't worry. It's, it's not going to affect anything. This is crazy. And he said, just get on a plane. So I left. Wow. I, uh, I, um, so he I didn't know. even hesitate. No, wow. not a second. Definitely it, it was the worst day of my life. So I was crying. I was. I didn't know what to do or what will happen. All, all the opportunities and all the things that we were thinking, suddenly everything had to stop because of this. And I, I, I thought that I would never see Neil again. So I went home and took out a bag and just started throwing things in it. I didn't have a ticket. I didn't have time to find one. And I'm calling my parents and calling my best friend and saying, what happened? And I'm leaving. And my mom going, no, 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 don't do that. You don't even know if she's left yet. And I said, I'm leaving. I have to go. I, I didn't see the light of the sun. or it, I was inside of the airport all the time. So mm. I, I didn't know if it was at night or at, in, in the day. I, I don't remember. Yeah. The only thing I remember is that they put some hand... hand Handcuffs? Handcuffs, yes. Uh, in my hands. You had to get on this plane uh, in handcuffs? No, but from from the common room to the plane, yes, I had to use the handcuffs. And I was with two officers, uh, and I was a kind of a shame <laughs> because everyone were looking at me like, what this girl did, you know, like... The L.A. airport is a huge place. And all this time, I'm calling the Custom Border Patrol in Los Angeles over and over and over again, saying, what's going on with Paula? Where is she? When is she going home? I called once and the officer said, why are you still calling? I'm not going to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Stop calling. And I said, excuse me, I'll continue to call until I get the information that I'm entitled to. To which they said, okay, bye. So I kept calling. <laughs> Her parents don't know she's being detained by immigration. And she has no way to tell them. So I'm the only one who knows. I texted her mother. I texted her that we're figuring it out and she's going to go home. I'm trying to figure out when.
right as I was boarding my plane to Chile, because I said, screw it, I'm going either way, I was a little surprised to get an actual phone call from Paula herself. Oh. This must have been 11 o'clock at night. And she said, they're letting me go home. It's happening. I'm getting out of here. You know, shaking, crying. The only thing I said was, good, I'll see you there. And she goes, what? <laughs> Neil was there in the airport, in the Santiago's airport. He, he arrived faster than me. That must have been a big surprise for you. <laughs> yes, I was very surprised because I thought that I would never see him again. And suddenly he appears with my mom <laughs> right next to him. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? Oh, my God, you're here. And I cried again. <laughs> and we gave each other a big hug. How did she look at that point? Was she exhausted? Yeah, she was exhausted. Oh, man. And sad. But happy to see me. They explore Paula's legal options, and she saves up some money to hire a lawyer. But the whole ordeal already starts to create tension between the two of them. Her conclusion was, I'm not going to do it now, but you need to move down here now. And how did that sound to you? Terrifying. Neil had his, like, dreaming job in San Francisco with GoPro, and he was having a lot of fun there. He had a good situation. All his family and friends were there. Uh, At that time, his brother just got cancer, so he was very concerned about that. And I I couldn't go there. (laughs) Some people might think that this story is a consequence of the Trump administration's policies. But as Joel Warner points out, this story began while Obama was president. This is not a Trump versus Obama thing. In some ways, we really saw the uptick in uh, folks being deported for drug-related offenses, including cannabis offenses, during the Obama administration. And that is because of the Secure Communities Initiative, which started even before Obama's presidency, that allowed immigration officials to have so much more access to local fingerprint data. So they could all of a sudden access a lot more information about these low-level drug crimes, and they used it uh, to deport a lot more people for drug offenses. I think according to Human Rights Watch, between 2007 and 2012, Drug possession-related deportations increased 43%. Whoa. So that was under the Obama administration. That's crazy. Now, having said that, it's not as if the Trump administration is backing off from, from these policies. She and I had so many phone calls about it that ended up in tears on both sides. And one of them just burns in my head. and I remember on the phone on my little my little um, tech bus going back to my apartment in San Francisco one day talking quietly to her and her saying no te vayas, ven no te vayas, over and over in tears no te vayas, it means don't leave and ven means come here over and over like like hypnotically over and over again I was like on fire like I, I, I was ripping apart and I think I just had to know <laughs> and we hung up 
but yeah, and it's, that one burns. Earlier this year, Paula filed all of the paperwork with the U.S. Embassy in Santiago. And all of this paperwork included evidence of her application to the University of Colorado, letters of recommendation from her bosses, information about her job qualifications and her salary, drug tests, the results of a physical examination, all of this to prove that she should be readmitted to the U.S. on a tourist visa. And now it's just a waiting game. All of this has played out alongside a general breakdown in communications between Neil and Paula. They could, after a certain point, no longer see eye to eye on the future of their relationship. And both of them said that before all of this happened, they never really used to argue. But afterwards... She hangs up and then she calls back and she says, I didn't tell you everything that I wanted to tell you. And now she's yelling. I've made that phone call. (laughs) (laughs) So she starts telling me this and that and she says, you have no heart and hangs up. And that's the last time I talked to her. Do you think that's, like, for good? I think so. It's not the time to talk. And I think that we both need to have our lives. We, we had a lot of fun. We, we were a, a really good couple. Uh, but, but now with this whole situation and this distance and impossible things that we have, uh, it's better to move on and, and to have your life. Maybe it's over. Yeah. You know, maybe we can finally start to move on. Maybe she's mad. Maybe I'm mad. Maybe sometimes you have to get angry. I'm scared that I'll never know what happened because maybe she's so angry which I don't think she is but maybe she is that she'd never even tell me we we love each other I, I really love Neil a lot he, he is the most important love in my life so of course he's someone uh, difficult to forget and if I I talk with him every day I will never forget him <laughs> Do you feel like this whole incident, like, drove a wedge between the two of you? Yes. You didn't even hesitate to say that. Wow. Because it's true. (laughs) Paola is still waiting to hear from the U.S. Embassy. Remember, this decision, if it goes her way, only allows her to get a tourist visa. She says even if she and Neil aren't together anymore, being banned from the U.S. has created other problems for her, professionally. She's had to turn down work trips and has had to explain the ban to her employers. That's part of the reason that we're not using her last name in this episode. And if her application for a waiver is approved, it is a temporary waiver. She would have to do this all over again a few years down the road.
On Something is a labor of love reported and written by me, Anne-Marie Awad, and Joel Warner, who originally covered this story. Find his story at onsomething.org. Produced and mixed by Brad Turner, Rebecca Romberg, and John Pinnow. Our editor is Curtis Fox. Music by Brad Turner and Daniel Mesher, as well as Neil Barenblatt, who was kind enough to share some of the music he wrote after meeting Paula. Head to onsomething.org to hear the whole album. Our executive producers are Rachel Estabrook and Kevin Dale. On Something is made possible by lots of talented people like Francie Swidler, Cam Wynn, Dave Burdick, Allison Borden, Matt Hers, and Iris Gottlieb. If you like what you're hearing, chit-chat with us on social media. We're at On Something Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we also have the On Something newsletter for those weeks where there is no podcast in your feed. You can sign up at onsomething.org. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This program is also made possible by Colorado Public Radio members. To learn about supporting CPR, go to CPR.org. I swear, I promise you, there is a legalization story in here somewhere. Just listen. That was great. On to the next. Miss, I promise you. (laughs) Okay. Support for On Something comes from Extract Labs. Based in Boulder, Colorado, Extract Labs is dedicated to introducing consumers to the use of CBD through product education. More about products grown from American hemp at extractlabs.com. Thanks also to the Rodman Law Group, a Denver-based law firm with a global reach. The Rodman Law Group specializes in FDA compliance, civil litigation, criminal defense, and the cannabinoid industry. Learn more today at therodmanlawgroup.com.